This is episode 217 of Insert Credit, an asynchronous special episode. This will be the last week before we all return to our regular recording spaces, so we're trying something different this week. I've pre-recorded each of the topics you're about to hear, uh, to which each of our panelists have recorded individual two-minute responses. Our intrepid editor, Esper Quinn, will hopefully put it all together so it sounds just like a real episode. I'm Alex Jaffe, and my New Year's resolution for 2022 is, having already worked with Tim and Brandon on other projects, to work on something with Frank Cifaldi. This is Frank Cifaldi recording offline answers for Insert Credit episode 217. Hi, Esper. How are ya? Okay, let's start. I'm Tim Rogers, and my New Year's resolution is... Uh, I, I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore, not as any kind of a sort of a uh, statement about anything. I just, I am a person who does a lot of stuff, and I do a lot of stuff all the time, so I, I just don't really feel like making a resolution to do something that I'm not likely to do, that I would like to be more likely to do. I don't know if that would necessarily constitute a good idea, because it would be giving me more stuff to do on top of all of the other stuff I'm definitely already going to do. So that's why I don't make New Year's resolutions. Thank you. I'm Brandon Sheffield, and I don't really make New Year's resolutions, but I would like to start exercising some more again, and it is possible to do. So maybe maybe I'll do that. I guess that's probably what I'm going to do. First question. What is the ugliest video game ever made? I feel like Tim and Brandon are going to have actual answers for this um in fact i'm i'm depending on that uh because i have sort of a cop-out one which is that i think most games on the game boy advance are hideous because it's sort of this weird time where we're all on very capable like windows computers with the internet and paint shop pro and and photoshop and stuff like that and and it seems like the development pipelines made it really easy to just drop in some crappy assets just you know some photos off the internet that, that you, you downscaled and, and, and put a filter on it. it just I, I despise the term lazy developer, but there was a lot of laziness in the Game Boy Advance era because of how easy it was. Well, okay, it's a combination, right? It's like, it was really easy to drop in graphics, and you're making games for a portable system, mostly played by children, and you don't respect children because you're a jerk, and also you're probably doing this for not very much money so it just resulted in what i consider and i'm I'm not talking about the classics here obviously i'm talking about you know sort of licensed stuff like play the garfield game that's the one play that garfield game that's on the game boy advance and and you'll see just how hideous it is uh when you just kind of drop in some art that you, you scraped up from the trash and just let the system sort of handling handle the scaling and rotation and stuff and uh it's really bad folks it's really bad there's there's much uglier games than garfield on the Game Boy Advance, but it's, it's, it's an example. It's an example. It's, it's, it's part of the problem. Given the subjective nature of ugliness, uh, it's, it's multivarious definitions, and also uh, given the fact that I do not want to answer this question after the fashion of some kind of listicle YouTuber, the likes of whom I recently heard whilst taking a dump, jet engine volume bursting out of the television in my little brother's childhood bedroom, which sits adjacent to my parents' toilet, uh, while my little brother's child sat watching a, a YouTuber, a very Canadian 
YouTuber countdown, the top 25 ugliest Pokemon of all time, where he goes, uh, uh, this one is literally just an ice cream cone? Are you kidding me right now? I just, I, I can't bring myself to, uh, really, really honestly answer the question, what is the ugliest video game ever made? So what I will do is I will instead give you two games that I think are ugly for different reasons. Spiritually ugly video games. The spiritually ugliest video game ever made. There are a lot of spiritually ugly video games like Custer's Revenge. I think the spiritually ugliest video game ever made is that stupid game Hatred. That was like a twin stick uh, mass shooting video game. And it's not just that it was because it was a game about mass shooting. It's the fact that the developers put in the Steam listing that it's a game that is all about pure gaming pleasure, is the way they described it. As though shooting innocent people is, is the pure pleasure of video games. I find that ridiculous. I think shooting pedestrians in a Grand Theft Auto game is also pretty trashy. So I think visually ugly, if I'm going to pick a game that I think is visually ugly in a way that is meaningful to me, uh, in a way where I'm not making fun of the graphics or anything. I will say that there was a period in history where some video games were sort of not as good looking as they had been shortly earlier. And I would pick the game Goemon's Great Adventure for uh, the Nintendo 64. A lot of Nintendo 64 games were kind of ugly looking even then. And I just remember the Mystical Ninja starring Goemon, which was a, a, a Goemon Zelda-like, being a beautiful video game. And then this side-scrolling Goemon's Great Adventure was just, it was very miserable. I mean, in a way that 3D polygon side-scrolling games were always a little bit miserable because it wasn't a full 3D game. Anyway, I thought that, that just kind of put me off of video games for a while. I felt like that was a dark period in video game graphical history. And that's the end of my answer. Thank you. Goodbye. So I don't think I would ever really critique a game based on its visual attractiveness in that way and say something is ugly. I might have said it before, but if posed the question specifically, I wouldn't call anyone's like visual art ugly because, you know, it's it's the best they can do and, and it's all relative and uh, somebody likes it. But I guess I would say that for me, the ugliest games are the ones that have the ugliest vibe or intentions or core. And so classic example for me is the Valis X games, which take characters from the Valis games and put them in terrible molestation by tentacle situations. And it's just, it comes from a place of the rights holders needing money and so selling the rights to this series off to some hentai game creators who then just made the lowest possible intellectual quality of video game out of it. Uh, they could have made it an okay one if they wanted to, but they, that's not what they did. So I think that's pretty ugly. And uh, another game in that zone would be Hatred and its ilk. Hatred being that game where you're just supposed to go around and try to commit a genocide against the human race because you're misanthropic and mad and super grim dark and whatever. And uh, the ultimate insult is that that game came out and was also not very interesting. So the only thing it had was its spite. And I think that's incredibly ugly. Have you formed any habits in video games that have translated into your normal life? You know, as I've gotten older, one of the things that I've started to recognize is that I don't have infinite time anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not old yet. I'm not even 40. I'm very, very close to 40, but I'm not 40 yet. But as time has gone on, I've, I've come to recognize that I can't do everything. I can't learn everything. And I don't know 
that video games have directly contributed to that, but it does sound poetic to say that there's a correlation between my not needing to 100% games, even the ones that I love, and my not needing to do and see and experience everything possible in the world. Because I can't. There's things that I'm very good at and very passionate about that I feel much more fulfilled in doing that I've made a conscious choice to focus on in a lot of cases more than, I don't know, for example, traveling to more countries, which, yeah, is also fulfilling. But again, can't do everything, can't do every side quest, can't 100% life is what I'm saying. And I don't know that video games have necessarily taught me that, but I do feel like my understanding of that aspect of life, of, of living, probably happened around the same time. I just kind of turned my nose up to side quests unless they felt re- real cool. So, uh, yeah, let's go with that. Well, ever since the advent of the console dual stick, a right analog stick aiming first-person shooter such as Halo, in real life, when walking around interesting environments, I do find myself turning to the side and crab walking a lot, walking backward a lot, looking upward, tilting my my head camera a whole lot. I find myself uh, slowly panning by murals and such on the street that I find interesting. I've been walking backwards maybe 50% of the time now for uh, the last uh, 20 years of my life. Uh, That's a joke answer, of course. Um, One habit that I definitely developed in video games uh, that translates to real life very well, because uh, this is a habit that primarily developed in open-world video games. Open-world video games having the most in common with real life. You can go anywhere, do anything, free-roaming, freedom video games, libertous video games. is killing cops. I kill cops all the time as a, as a force of habit in video games, in open-world games. And in real life, I've been doing it a lot lately, too. I was at Dunkin' Donuts. There were some cops parked there. I happened to have a shotgun. I blasted one of them right in the side of the head. Uh, it was horrible. And I got away with it because all the other cops were too slow. So that was cool. Aside from that, um, I don't know. I, when I get an elixir in real life, I kind of save it up, by which I mean uh, I have a, like two cans of Coca-Cola Zero, the, the, the Zero Sugar, and the original Coca-Cola Zero, uh, one can of each that's in the back of my refrigerator that I actually took out of my refrigerator and put on my bookshelf because I didn't want to drink them because they changed the can design. Now the can is red with black text, so I have like the old, it's kind of like saving my Final Fantasy VI elixirs until the end of the game. I don't think I've ever gotten anything from like a habit from a video game that I brought into my real life. I've probably done the opposite thing though. Like my tendency to want to finish a task until it's done, but then find part of the task difficult and so leave it forever. Uh, I mean, that's like why I don't finish role-playing games and I end in the last chapter. So many of those games, like I think I did it with Persona 3 and 4. I definitely did it with Final Fantasy 7 the first time around. It's just like, you know, you get to the last scenario and they're like, okay, better finish up everything you want to do. And then I'm like, well, I guess, I guess I'm finished. And at that time, I realized maybe I wasn't that engaged to begin with, with the story and it doesn't really matter to me. I stopped right before the last boss of Bloodstained as well. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, maybe I have a greater tendency to follow things through in real life than I do in video games. So maybe that's not exactly the right answer, but it's something in there. I guess I'm not even answering the question correctly anyway. The real answer is no. I've never taken some habit I got from video games and put it into my real life. Like, what, what am I going to do? Uh, 
hit a rock with a shovel in a certain way so that money comes out of it. That's not something I do in real life. Should every game have an easy mode? Should every game have a hard mode? I feel like this question is is just a weird way of asking, should games have accessibility features? Which, yeah, obviously they should have accessibility features. But the question, as it's written here, is should every game have an easy mode? And no, not every game should have an easy mode or a hard mode or both. I'm just, I'm looking at my phone right now. There's a game that I bought from, uh, what, what is it, Anna Purina? or Alston in a Purina Interactive um, called Florence. And uh, it's a game where you just kind of touch it and do some very simple mini gamey things to sort of advance the narrative. It's that and it's still a game, but it is not a game that that challenges the player. It is a game that uh, occupies the player. There's no notion of changing the difficulty of this game, I don't think. But that said, theoretically, maybe there is an accessibility option that, that could benefit some people who want to experience this game to, to make it where I don't know that the touching has to doesn't have to be as precise if you're if you're not as mobile with your fingers as as, as most other people are and yeah so I mean no like there, there's there's no benefit there but maybe I'm being pedantic I don't know so let's talk about typical sort of triple a action game or whatever should that have an easy mode and a hard mode I don't care about the hard mode but I think it's cool to put that in for people who do my assumption about any hard mode is that it just makes everything a bullet sponge, but maybe people like that. I don't know. It doesn't seem that hard to do. Just tweak some numbers. Um, and then easy mode. Yes, it should always be possible for someone who's not trained in video games to uh, complete a single player campaign. So if that means every game should have an easy mode, if, if what I just said is the same thing as saying every game should have an easy mode, then yeah, I guess I do believe that. I just want to say you are not going to get me to answer the uh, should every game have an easy mode, should every game have a hard mode question in under two minutes standing by myself with a lavalier microphone in my childhood bedroom. It's not my childhood bedroom. I lived in this bedroom for one month. Um, th this, this question is, uh, I've, I've gone on the record saying that I think that no game should have a hard mode. No game should have an easy mode. All games should just have one mode. And then there are ways to play it. You can play it the goblinized way that weirdos will make fun of you for playing it. Or you can play it uh, the demigod goblinized way that a different type of weirdos will make fun of you for playing it. I feel like every game should have grinding. Put grinding in a game. Just just make the game have some grinding. If you want it to be easier, you can just grind on your low-level monsters. Usually the sorts of games that people say should have hard modes or easy modes. Not gonna talk about which games those usually are. Usually those are games that if uh, they just had a little bit of grinding and people could be overpowered. Maybe like have a sword available in, in the hub world at the beginning of the game that people uh, in the hub world say, don't take this sword. Uh, it's a fearsome power, it's too much, and then just have it be like a special ending. I don't know. Uh, a special ending that's like you took the, the the freak sword and now you're a monster. Something like that. Like, I don't know. I don't think there needs to be hard modes and easy modes per se. I think we just need to look to the one mode future. That's what I'm saying, Jerry. The one mode future where everyone can chill in the same mode. And that's my final answer. Thank you. Easy modes are great. They're good stuff that you should have probably in your video game. But if you're a small company, I don't believe that you have to do it. I don't think everyone has to do it. They're really difficult to do easy and hard modes in some games. Like in our game Gunsport, 
which, by the way, wish listed on Steam Hypergunsport. <laughs> we had a really hard time tuning the difficulty because you've got three AI characters and one human, and we're trying to tune against that for the single player experience. You know, obviously for true multiplayer, it doesn't matter, but you've got one human character and three AI, and the only things they can really do are shoot this ball and jump and like aim and miss. The idea of difficulty is incredibly hard to pin down because with that many predictions happening you know we're not we're not math geniuses over here we can't actually triangulate how to make uh, an ai opponent intelligently shoot the ball into a spot that like won't make a goal on purpose because there are multiple other actors happening simultaneously that are trying to change that it's it's not just about whether one character will do one thing you have to take it all into account plus the player as an agent of chaos and the whole thing so as much as i think it's great to include uh easy and difficult and whatever modes if you don't have those levers i think it's okay not to on the other hand any kind of accessibility options that you can put in are very good button remap colorblind mode just any any of that kind of low-hanging fruit so that whoever wants to be able to try to play your game can, you should do that. I'd love to put an easy mode or a hard mode in Gunsport. We just really cannot figure out how to do it. I was a little follow-up to that. If anybody else winds up talking about whether some games should just be difficult and some games should just be easy, I, I believe in that as well. I think that there's a, a value to having a specific vision and sticking to it and making like a really light, easy platformer or a really punishing tactical game or whatever kind of thing. If if there's a specific thing that you want to go for, I think that you should be able to go for it. And Tim may talk about the, uh, the hard mode in Final Fantasy VII Remake, which actually makes the game fun to play and uh, was inaccessible to me because I didn't want to try to learn it. There's value in sticking to your guns and making something easy or hard. Imagine that you had the power to create video game mods just by speaking them into existence during this segment. What would you make? I actually have a really good answer for this, and it's not going to be specific to any game ever. Much like Tim Rogers of the Insert Credit Show, I play games primarily on my computer, and I have a, a, a really good graphics card. I have, a, I have a 3080. It was very difficult to get one. I don't know if it's even possible anymore, but uh, a year ago, it was quite a struggle. I managed to, and, and I will cherish this thing until I get the next one. But anyway, if I could just will any mod into existence, I would will the ability for these PC games I'm playing to just extract and dump all of the, the textures and, and data and everything onto my hard drive and just make my install of Red Dead Redemption 2 like a terabyte. I don't care. Just have all of that data just ready for me um, instead of doing the thing where you have to decompress that data in real time, causing some stuttering and stuff like that. It's like, no, give me the option to literally fill my hard drive with every piece of data that's compressed in this game. If that's what it takes, just give me that ability to squeeze out just a little bit more performance out of this thing because I have the tools. I have the technology. Give me that freedom. Give me big head mode in that Final Fantasy VII remake. Give me gun mode in Madden where you, the, the quarterback fires the football out of a bazooka. Give me big shoes mode in 2K where everybody's shoes are like as big as their torsos. Put the portal gun from Portal into like Grand Theft Auto V. Put like some days gone looking Harley Davidson into Red Dead Redemption 2. 
Give me a mod that swaps out all the Asahi brand beverages and the convenience stores of the Yakuza games for their Kirin counterparts, because Kirin is the best. Instead of Mitsuya Cider, give me, like, Kirin Grapefruit Mets. I don't know. I don't like mushrooms, so Super Mario Bros, uh, I would like to mod the mushroom out, make it something a little bit more appetizing, maybe a little bit more theme appropriate, uh, like a slice of pizza. Zelda life meter shouldn't be hearts, because hearts is girly. Make it guns. And while you're at it, make the original Legend of Zelda bombs shaped like hearts. I think that would be more interesting. Make the Fire Flower in Super Mario Bros a can of monster energy drink. You know, I'm now thinking back to uh, how I said that I, I think of uh, the keeping old design Coca-Cola Zero cans in my house is like saving my elixirs in Final Fantasy VI until the end of the game, at which point I usually forget to use them anyway. And I'm now thinking it would be cool if, if instead of potion, high potion elixir, it was like Coke, cherry Coke. Like, I think a cherry Coke would probably refill more HP than a regular Coke. Even if it didn't taste as good, no matter what your your feelings, your preferences are, I feel like it, it wouldn't be too hard to convince the, the video game playing populace at large that Cherry Coke uh, heals more HP. If I could create any video game mod right now, I would uh, create one who does a great job of filtering out all them Nazis and racists and such and uh, make sure that everybody's having a real good time in the video game. That's the kind of mod that I like in my forums and communities. I know that's not the question, but that's what I thought of. So, uh, man, I don't know. Put Bonk in there. Put Bonk in whatever. Give me, uh, I'm thinking off the top of my head here. Give me the, like one of those Project X Zone, Cross Zone, whatever you call it, kind of games together for every property that I like. Let's get Wolf Team, Nihon Telnet, Hudson, NEC, Sega, maybe a little bit. Sega was already in Project Cross Zone. But anyway, put in a game that I like, which I, um, do not have any input into, and so I can just enjoy it without having to create it or do any of that kind of stuff. Improbably, it's time for an improv zone. You've reached the Game Counselor helpline. All of our video game experts are currently busy with other callers, but please leave a message with your name, the video game title, and the nature of the difficulty you are having in your game, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Oh, gosh. Yes, I was really hoping someone would be there. I'm really confused. Oh god, where do I start? So I'm I'm playing I'm playing the hot new game Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom. You know, good game so far. I haven't had a lot of issues with the puzzles or anything like that. But um, I'm I'm in a place called called the Peanut Village, and I'm exploring and, and I'm not stuck or anything. I'm just confused. I'm wondering if this is like an unintentional bug in the game, maybe, or I don't know. Maybe I did something wrong. But I'm talking to the villagers in the peanut village and, and, and looking around. And uh, according to the game's lore, the streets are made of peanut shell and the, the buildings are, are made of peanut. And is this, is this actually, actually the world that I'm supposed to inhabit? Did something go wrong? Did I, am I in silent Hill? I mean, I, it just, it feels really strange to me that villagers would desecrate the corpses of, of their loved ones in order to pave the roads, in order to, I mean, shield themselves from the rain. I guess I sort of get that. But anyway, I don't know. Like, I'm using a game genie. Maybe I put in the code wrong. So just, God, please give me a call back. I'm really confused. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to, to your call. Thank you. Please. 
Hey, yo, hello, is this the Nintendo? Uh, my name is Jerry Trashcan. I got a bit of a situation here, and I need you to listen to me closely. Now, if I get cut off one more time, I promise my lawyer is going to kill you. Uh, so, okay, listen, you got this game, there's this guy, some little turd man, looks like somebody stepped on his hat, you know who I'm talking about? My kids almost killed me to get them this game, man. They told me they was gonna drink my blood till I died if I didn't get them this game, man. Now they're telling me I'm dead if I don't fix it for them. So, listen, some little chestnut with feet, ain't even got any kind of look on his face, just comes over and touches the little guy. And he doesn't even bite him or doesn't even eat him, he just touches it. And the little guy gets upset and falls out of the TV and then he's back and then he's gone and then he's back and then you're telling me it's game over? You're telling me I almost died in real life? And I almost killed a man in hot blood because of this game over? I got these two kids, my boys Blurfus and Brickules. I swear to God, I don't even barely even remember even having them. I don't even barely even remember them being born and they're freaking already taller than me. These freak kids say, you gotta get us an action set for Christmas or we're getting you the rest of what you just got. I think they mean they're gonna finish me off. Before they even ask me for anything, they beat me half to death with the BMX bikes I got them for last Christmas. They bent those bikes all out of shape hitting me with them. The emergency room told me I was lucky they didn't turn me into just a big bag of juice beating me with them bikes like that. So because of these kids, I gotta beat this other guy half to death out behind the Toys R Us? I made that fella's nuts bleed all over his khakis because of that action set. He tries to tell me $800 and I'm like, screw you. He's puking his guts out. So I give him an extra 20, make it 220. And my kids, they just wanna shoot a cartoon duck. Now I shot that duck just to see if it died satisfactorily enough to please my little monsters. like. What is with that stupid duck, by the way? It just falls down and gets back up again? I think it's the same duck. Is it the same duck? Anyway, I scratched the holy heck of Rooney out of the TV with that gun, man, and the kids did not like that. They did not like that. They are saying they'll let it slide if I call Nintendo and tell them to fix Mario. They said, if Nintendo don't make Mario jump, they're gonna make me jump. I think they mean off of the water tower. They throw cops off there all the time. Well, guess what? I'm not going to do it. Jaffe's not here to stop me, so I'm just not going to do the improv zone. It is difficult enough when you got people that are actually helping you also do it, and you're sort of more inspired because everybody's failing the same way around you. But when you have the prompt, it's just it's too difficult to get in your head trying to think about how to make it correct and funny and good. And so nobody can stop me from not doing it, and here I am not doing it. But I will tell you about a game that I did get stuck on called Genso Taidiku Auleria, and it's a game by Winkysoft and Taito. And so it should be good. It's a side-scrolling action game. You got like a spear and you're beating stuff up. But there's this point at which, according to the one guide, uh, the one FAQ on GameFAQs, you're supposed to find this werewolf and he's just impossible to find. And there's like Incredibly simple instructions. Return to Port Town and re-enter the weapons shop. You'll have to fight a werewolf. He's easy if you've leveled up, like I said. But I can't find that guy. And the, the scant few posts you can find about this game anywhere on the internet are all like, where's this freaking werewolf? So I, I don't know where this author got that idea from. Maybe it was really easy for them, but I couldn't find that guy. My favorite thing, though, about this FAQ 
is at the end, where the author says, This is where my game got erased. I will update it as soon as I decide to replay the game or someone else finishes it for me. And nobody ever did. Hi, yes, Tipline. I have a problem that I'm hoping you can help me with. Have you heard of the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV with an expanded free trial which you can play through the entirety of A Realm Reborn in the award-winning Heavenward expansion up to level 60 for free with no restrictions on playtime? Yes? You have? Well, that's kind of why I'm calling. You see, everyone's heard of the critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV with an expanded free trial which you can play through the entirety of A Realm Reborn in the award-winning Heavenward expansion up to level 60 for free with no restrictions on playtime. <gasps> In retrospect, it was probably a bad idea to turn into such a catchy, repeatable phrase like that. It worked too goddamn well, and now the cues are too damn long. How else am I supposed to get my daily allotment of pain and suffering and sexy, slutty bunny boys if it takes me three hours to get through a 5,000-person queue? You feel me? So if you can help me convince people to stop Stop playing critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV with an expanded free trial, which you can play through the entirety of A Realm Reborn and the award-winning Heavensward expansion up to level 60 for free with no restrictions on playtime. That would help a lot. Thanks. Hello, is this Nintendo Emotional Support HQ? So I'm stuck in a bit of a pickle right now. I sold 15 hero coins today in your game. I think it's called Soft Non-Threatening Friends to an NPC character, a non-player character, who seemed very convincing, named Cousin Crook, because he was telling me that he needed it for a fence, and, you know, you can only use hero coins to build fences to keep his animals in, but instead it turned out that he used it to remove the trees in my yard, and I found out that I had just been swindled by this character, and now my virtual children that I spent a lot of money on that I own in the game uh, won't stop calling me very rude and inappropriate names. And I don't understand how that got through in a family game such as this, but I paid a lot of good money to have those virtual children uh, never question my parenting skills and tell me that they're unmatched. Um, and I needed that like unmatched perk in order to unlock the food, per food purchasing so that I can feed uh, myself and others but now this crook character threatens to derail my agenda, and I, I just don't appreciate it. So if you know how to, how to solve this conundrum, and also I, I think it's very inappropriate what those virtual children said, so I think you should, you should maybe talk to their algorithm and, and, see if, and see if you can fix it, because I just don't think that this, this is appropriate for, for a family game. Hi, yeah, tip line? It's me. It's Esper. You have a file on me. I call in a lot because of this. Brandon brought up another obscure game. I, 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 you know, I need it for the show notes. I don't know how to spell it. You're going to have to help me out here. The way he pronounced it, Genso Tyriku Aurelia? I have no, I'm totally lost on this one. I know I call in for this every week. I'm so sorry. Uh, any information you can get me console you know he said it was by winky soft that sounds made up to me i don't know if that's a joke or not but if if you can send it to me i'll be able to find it on moby games from there thank you so much happy new year what does it take to convince someone to try a video game what does it take to convince someone to try a i don't care if you play a video game <laughs> i really don't care what you do with your time okay uh, think about this for real right like if 
if I, Frank Cifaldi, am in a position where I really want someone to play a video game, the only reason I can think to be in that position is because I've realized that this game will improve their lives or is something that I know that they would enjoy. You know, there's not a scenario where it's like, wow, this game was meaningful for me personally, and I want you to feel the way that I do. But often I am playing a game and it's like, oh, I think so-and-so would enjoy this. I think this is right up their alley. And the way that I've typically done that is kind of like texted them like screenshots if there's there's like goofy things on the screen that would appeal to them or if there's like i mean my wife amanda really likes what one on twitter might call a good face you know like 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 a face that is really funny so the game has a has some good faces in it i'll I'll sort of text her pictures from from the other room i guess i don't know i don't I live with my wife. I don't need to text her pictures of the thing that I'm doing in the house. But yeah, I, I mean, I'd I like to, you know, text people pictures or, or like kind of give them a travel log as I'm playing this game that I think that they would like. I think because that's what usually works on me is when people are like tweeting their experience in a game, for example, um, or, you know, they're able to show an aspect that appeals to me. Like, I, I think I've said this on the show before, but straight up Final Fantasy 15. I had no interest in. And then I saw a, a video on Twitter of the bonus mission where you have to talk to your friend about your favorite part of uh, Cup Noodles, I think it was. And I was like, yeah, this is the exact kind of stupid I want. And I bought the game that day. What does it take to convince someone to try a video game? Well, I have pretty bad luck in general convincing people that I know, like persons, like humans, to try a video game. Uh, though I, I'm able to convince uh, viewers and listeners and readers of my work to try video games. So what does it take to convince someone to try a video game? I suppose it's to never meet them and then build up uh, some sort of librarious catalog just outlining my taste over a period of two decades. And then when I recommend a video game, people will play it. Like, I mean, I don't actually know how I did it per se, though I did make this long video about cyberpunk that I tried to tell people that they didn't need to play the game, that I'd played it for them, and that here was all this stuff that we can talk about with regard to the game. And I got so many people telling me that they played the game after watching the review or before watching the review, or they got to a certain point in the review and then they decided to play through the entire game. I was trying to kind of convince people not to play the game, so it was quite strange that so many people actually did play the game. A little bit weird. As for convincing real people uh, that I know in real life to play video games who are not already video game players, I guess this kind of goes back to the the question that Brandon asked somewhat recently about, can you remember a parent of yours or one of your parents telling you that a video game impressed them unprompted? I feel like that's really it. You just have to wait for somebody to say, hey, that Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out. Should I play that? And then just tell them, yeah. You just have to wait for somebody to bring it up as their idea and then tell them, okay. I suppose that would be my answer. It's a bad answer. I'm sorry. The answer is graphics. Some kind of visual indicator that this game looks good. That's what convinces someone to play a video game. It's got to be graphics that they like or that inspire some kind of interest in them. But that's what it is. When I'm pitching video games to publishers, I I may have mentioned this before, but I kind of treat it like 
I'm making a picture book for a toddler. That's that's no particular insult meant to publishers, but when you got somebody who's really busy thinking about other stuff, they're really easily distracted, they got about a million things going on, you have to immediately grab their attention. And so I do like big picture, one sentence of text in, in a big font, um, small sentence, big font. And that's what I do. And like, if I could count the number of times where we would have gotten something uh, a deal if we had a professional grade trailer i'm 90 percent sure of it it's just like when you send a video game to a publisher they know that it's not finished they're aware that you're pitching something you know they they know what a beta of a game looks like and yet they will still a hundred percent look at your game and consider that this is the final product i will be really receiving the capacity for vision and all of that is is linked directly to what you've done before. So if you're like some really excellent high-end person that has a really big, good reputation, you can send somebody something that doesn't look fantastic and they'll be like, oh, they're going to they're gonna fix it up. But if you're someone like me and you send something out and the UI is a little weird or the, the, the boss has work-in-progress graphics and, and you don't make it really obvious that it's work-in-progress, they're going to be like, oh, this person doesn't have the greatest sense of UI or of scale or whatever. And they don't know you. They can't uh, anticipate what you're going to do and the ways in which you're going to improve things. They, they don't necessarily even trust you to do that. So you got to put forward the best looking thing that you can within the time that you have when you're, when you're pitching. And I think the same is true when you're showing a game to consumers. They will take what you've showed them at face value. If you've got a low, slow plotting trailer, they're going to be like, oh, this game is probably pretty slow. If you wind up focusing on some area of your game that isn't really the feature of the game, they're going to think that's what your game is about. So yeah, what convinces people to play games is good graphics that they like that give them the idea of how that game will play. So Man, like Stardew Valley, you take a look at a screenshot of that and you're like, I'm farming. I get it. You know, it's it's not the pr absolute prettiest art that you'll ever see, but you 100% know what it is. You know what you're in for. And it's like, yeah, I'll get on board with that train. Most cart tracks are locations which have never appeared in any other video game, but capture a particular character's vibe, such as Wario's Goldmine or Waluigi Pinball. Design a track in the same spirit as a video game character for a kart racer. So Mario Kart is, you know, a game about mascots racing around, right? And and here on Insert Credit, we like to talk about, uh, maybe obscure is the wrong word, but the, the, the sort of mascots from the 90s that, that didn't quite make it. And, and uh, I'm sure this is at least the 12th time that one of us has brought up Awesome Possum, but I'm going to put Awesome Possum into Mario Kart. And his level is actually, it takes place entirely in an office building. The most clinical, like depressing, big business office building, like open floor plan. You know what I mean? Like you're you're racing through, and there's just desks with no privacy. There's like a small IKEA table with like three people working at it, sort of thing. There, there's a hazard where there's two guys in business suits, like giant statues that are like shaking hands, and they're kind of like <laughs> like hitting the ground as they shake. So you have to sort of get through the business negotiation stuff. And, you know, you go through like meeting rooms with like whiteboards with like 
sharpies that are that are like floating in the air like 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 beauty and the beast or something right like so there's sharpies not sharpies don't don't put sharpie on a whiteboard uh dry erase markers uh that are sort of uh drawing out like projected sails and things like that and every time you loop however many loops you have to do like every every time you reach that checkpoint the color palette and the lighting just shifts to be a little bit darker every time and and you're in near pitch blackness uh, by the time you get through the end of the race, and 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 that that's awesome possums uh, personality right there. Well, first of all, I don't understand why Super Mario Kart is not just completely blast crammed with all sorts of characters from other video game franchises. It is weird that uh, Super Smash Bros. is the the biggest uh, game of, in the world for like a bunch of people who are a certain type of person. And it's it's strange that uh, Super Mario Kart has not become another Smash Bros. size thing with like a million billion characters in it. I feel like you could put just about anybody into Super Mario Kart with minimal tweaks to the formula of the way the cars usually behave. It wouldn't be like designing a Smash Bros. character. I feel like you should be able to just... Maybe that's why Nintendo is taking so long to make Mario Kart 9 or the next Mario Kart game. Maybe it's because they're finally executing some Smash Brosian strategy. Though it's like I saw this Chocobo Racing game that Square Enix announced. It's, it's, they're bringing back Chocobo Racing and it's got some some little Chibis Final Fantasy characters in it. They're bringing back that old style like the, because there was the PS1 uh, Chocobo Racing game. Now they're trying to bring that back and it looks like it's all full of some kind of mobile nonsense. And it just made me think, man, why can't there just be Cloud in the Super Mario Kart, just put Cloud in there. I mean, Cloud is the boring answer, and I put Aerith in there. What if the level is, uh, the stage is Gold Saucer, like a Gold Saucer circuit? You're driving around Gold Saucer, and it's done up in Nintendo graphics. Uh, a Dragon Quest Mario Kart stage with, you can play as the Dragon Quest Three hero, and you're driving around all sorts of famous Dragon Quest locations. Uh, if, I, quite frankly, if that don't sound delightful to you, you're some kind of freak. That's all there is to it. Man, this is one of those ones where I feel like it, we would really benefit from all of us being there and we could just build on these questions with each other because I I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just learned from reading this question and thinking about it that I guess tracks in Mario Kart are not based on other video game locations. I mean, I, I, I didn't know that. I don't play enough M Mario games to know that. So that's news to me. Anyway, I don't know, maybe... Uh, Francis York Morgan from Deadly Premonition, because why not talk about Deadly Premonition again? But he's got that uh, dual personality, so you could have the um, the track like flip over when you get to a certain point, like you get to a, a certain node, and then it, it flips, and then you're in the underworld side of the graphics in the uh, rainy woods, trench coat, evil zone style place, and then you flip it over again, and then you're going to uh, like diners and huge coffee mugs, novelty man holding a muffler type of Americana situation, then you hit that note again, you're back in the sawmill and there's blood and stuff and the controls get all difficult to control because you're in you're in the you're in the shooting mode of Deadly Premonition. That's my idea. I don't know if it's any good. But uh it's not my game, it's Mario Kart. That's Nintendo's problem now. Good luck guys. How have focus groups affected game development? So I mean, you know, clearly Awesome Possum only exists because of a focus group, right? I mean, I think we could all agree on that, that that character and the fact that he is an environmentalist in in the, the Captain Planet era of the night. I mean, that's a focus group game. That's 
you know, go back to that prior question, but add in some focus groups to that racetrack, you know, where you're racing through and, and there's children behind two way glass, uh, watching footage of you driving and, and they're, uh, eating pizza and, and falling asleep. You know, that, that, I think that's, that really says everything. That's all I got. Well, uh, anybody who has watched, for example, the TV show Mad Men will know that focus groups have been a part of marketing, advertising, or product development for literally decades. It's been a huge thing. So how have focus groups affected game development? They've probably been affecting game development since sort of the very beginning of video game development. I remember seeing Howard Phillips, a former Nintendo big shot cool guy, saying on a, on a Facebook post, about how video game control was always the number one thing that their focus groups reported as finding lacking in some video games that weren't that good or that or something like he said play control was the number one thing that most focus group members said they appreciated uh, the most about games was when the, the controls were good so i mean focus testing seems to have actually influenced game development for quite some time so I would say, if you're talking about modern times, uh, how has focus testing changed in modern times? What is it doing now? I would say, uh, have you looked at God darn Yelp? Have you looked at YouTube comments? The entire world is a focus group now, and they are just sponging data and opinions and ideas and nonsense. There's people just giving out free ideas in the YouTube comments of every video game trailer. For example, the idea that they should show gameplay in the trailer. Sooner or later, that one, there's, they're going to do away with trailers that just show cutscenes because there's going to be so many YouTube comments. Just keep, keep plugging those comments away, uh, focus testers. Focus groups are strange. I don't know if we can say definitively how they've affected game development, but for a long time, they were used to just purely gauge interest in a product and see like what demographics were resonating with it and whatnot and then for a while like now you rather than you know focus groups you got analytics which tell you how long people were looking at one thing or another how long their eyeballs were on this part of the screen were they hovering over the buy button and then flitting away and deciding not to do it were they uh you know using this character too much because they saw it in a forum and um i, I think in a way analytics has supplanted the focus group and the focus group is is less relevant than ever because with analytics you can worm your way into finding an audience rather than tailoring the game to be exactly that way from the start. But as a side note, I'll talk about the two times I was involved in focus groups. One was for Project Snowblind, which is probably the f maybe the first video game thing I was actually connected to. I'm not sure it was the, I, I mean like video game development in development thing. Uh, but anyway. I played that game. I don't remember what I said. I remember saying a lot of snarky stuff. <laughs> I apologize to the developers of Project Snowblind. I never played it after it came out. But um, I think we were mostly showed video. It, w it was just a bunch of us in a room. And they showed us some stuff. And they were like, what do you think? And I was like, eh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, then I was in another focus group with a high school friend. And maybe I've mentioned this before. But it was a Ratchet and Clank up your arsenal. Maybe it was one of the PS3 ones. Maybe the first one. Maybe the second one. We played it for three days. People watched us do stuff. And I remember getting self-conscious because everybody was so much further than me because I was going around like collecting bolts and trying to fall off ledges and seeing what kind of nonsense I could get up to. And then, uh, 
you know, I looked to my right and my, my high school friend who happened to also, unbeknownst to me, get signed up for the same thing. He was like two worlds ahead of me at that point. And I was like, dang, dude, I'm really slow. Anyway, he works at Sony now. The end. Goodbye. What is the worst game that you would still consider the game of the year for its year, considering its competition? This question's rough. So I am looking at the Wikipedia entry for 1984 in video games because, I don't know, this just feels like kind of a dire year, right? We're, we're sort of past the industry crash in the U.S. We really only have you know some arcade stuff going on, and the arcade isn't really that great. I mean, highest grossing games are like track and field, <laughs> you know, um, like 10-yard fight. But there's some innovation happening in the U.K. The top-selling game that year is Jet Set Willy. You also have Manic Miner on there and Saber Wolf, Jetpack. I don't like any of those games. I don't want to play Jet Set Willy, really. I, I, I appreciate its innovations from a distance, but that is not a game you come into in 2022. Is that when this is? That must be its 30th as I'm recording this. You, you don't play Jet Set Willy cold in 2022 and, 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 and appreciate it the way you would in 1984 uh, or the way that the numerous retro gaming british magazines i am subscribed to uh think that you will enjoy it um it's not a bad game but it's also kind of a bad game and uh is it game of the year for 1984 even though i hate it i think it might be i think jet set willie might be up there so that that's my answer good answer G- give me the sound effect a good answer one that we use thank you the worst game that I would consider the, the best game of its year, uh, despite its competition, this is an interesting question because I, I try to keep my, all of my horses. I don't let my horses into the game of the year race every year. I don't let my, I don't let my eggs plop into the game of the year basket every year. So I try to not really think about this. Though if, if we do talk about game of the year, I'm trying to think of other people's values for games of the year, other people's assessments. I think uh, 2006 comes to mind immediately. 2006 was Gears of War. And when we say best game, uh, that would be game of the year. Gears of War, I think, was game of the year for a lot of people. The same year, Oblivion came out. And I think that was game of the year for a lot of people. The next year was Bioshock and Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Though Gears of War and Oblivion had come out, and I think those were kind of splitting the difference uh, uh, over the game of the year debates and awards that were being handed out and proffered at various uh, award-giving venues. Now, I love Gears of War, and I think uh, all the Elder Scrolls games are, are kind of, they range from kind of dumb to extremely dumb. Though I do see why those games are considered bests and great games and uh, trailblazers and trendsetters. They're just one is a big, robust cinematic thing that has a whole lot of good level design and situation design and enemy design and graphics and characters. And the other is uh, just basically spearheading the trend of games that have way too many sim elements in them. Oblivion was where Elder Scrolls really went mainstream. At the same time, there's a video game that's just a really stupid little cardboard box level design, absolute nonsense storytelling, uh, jokes that I think literally nobody understands, and mechanics that are beautiful to me, though strange and horrible to many other people. And that game is a God Hand, which I guess is quote-unquote in the spirit of, of a Canadian YouTuber who hates the ice cream cone Pokemon. I suppose God Hand would be the worst, weirdest, stupidest game 
and uh, it came out right at that time as Gears of War and Oblivion, and I think that is a very good answer to that question, Jerry. For my first part of this, I'm just going to complain at how broad this question is. We're supposed to consider all games of all time, weigh them against all other games of all time, or of year by year, and then determine which of those games of in through all of the history of video games is the worst one that was better than its peers, but only in that year. This is like a um, a PhD research project that I'm probably not going to have time to fully engage with. So uh, I'm just going to p- complain about that first. Now I'm going to think about it for a second. I'll get back to you. All right. The only way I could figure out to actually make this happen is to go with Space War 1962. Very probably the only game that came out that year. So it is the worst game and the best game of 1962, I do believe. You could call it a cop-out answer. But, I mean, any game I might think of, like, let's say I pick a Valis game, and it's from 1990, then I have to think of every other game from 1990, and whether it was better or worse than that. I can't, I can't, taking this question seriously and literally, only thing I can do is to cheat and say Space War. I was even trying to go into the 70s, and it's like, okay, maybe I could say Space Invaders, because Space Invaders isn't isn't that good. But there were dozens of games that came out in 1978 alongside Space Invaders, and can I really make that claim? Not so sure. So, Space War it is. Okay. Knowing that they will probably never listen to this episode, what are your feelings about the other two panelists? Uh, I don't know. I guess I, I think of Tim and Brandon similarly. In that I think maybe both of them overwork themselves, but I say that as someone who chronically overworks himself. Um, I've gotten a lot better at delegation. I've gotten a lot better, not, not to bring it back to that previous question, but I've gotten a lot better at understanding my limits and, and just learning to chill. And I'm not sure that, that, uh, Tim and Brandon have, at least maybe not as much as I have, or I could be totally wrong. I don't know, but, but my impression of the both of them, they do overwork themselves a little more than, then, then maybe they need to. So my New Year's resolution is uh, to silently hope that both of them uh, can find a little bit more peace in their, their work-life balance. Knowing that they will probably never listen to this episode, what are your feelings about the other two panelists? Um, uh, Jaffe, I know. Here's what my feelings about the other two panelists are. Brandon Sheffield is the type of guy to talk about never listening to his own podcast. I know he's like that because of me. Uh, and Brandon Sheffield is also the type of guy to see this question and decide to listen to this part of the podcast. So, Brandon Sheffield, if you're listening, you're a goblin, you're a creep, you're going down. Uh, you, I will end you. That's all there is to it. Don't listen to this. You, you're treading on unholy ground now. Whereas Frank Cifaldi's a cool guy. So, that's all there is to it. There's really all, that's all you really need to know about Frank Cifaldi. One of the, one of the coolest dudes in video games, I think. So that's cool, right? I don't think Frank is even, he's so cool, he's probably not listening to this. But maybe, maybe he'll brag about not listening to it at some point. I have to say, I might have skipped around this episode a little bit, if not for the presence of this question, but this question pretty much guarantees now that I will not listen to it. It's a, it's a tough one that you're asking there. What, what am I supposed to say there? My friends, Tim and Frank. Known them for a whole bunch of years. Going on 20 years for Tim pretty soon. Maybe uh, sometime next year will we'll be the 20th anniversary of our contacting each other. Frank, mm, 17, 18 years. We lived across from each other for 10 years, roughly. Um, we both just moved. 
But, you know, I mean, what is there to say? They are my friends. (laughs) Uh, We have different ways of thinking about things sometimes. And that is both the source of issues within and reason for continuing our friendship. Like, why would you want to be around people that are the same as you and have the same problems as you and, and that kind of thing? I, I, a while ago, watched the Highlander TV show. Like, I bought, I bought a VHS tape, which was supposed to be a, a quote, movie from the, made from the TV show. And it's really just the two first episodes slapped together and put in a box, as they did back in the day. And uh, it's got um, the TV show's Highlander, Adrian Paul, getting sort of passed the baton from the movie's Highlander, Christopher Lambert, uh, or Christophe Lambert. And you see the two of them meet up for the first time in like 500 years. And they're like still grousing about the same problems. And they still annoy each other in the same exact ways because they're both entirely themselves. And at the same time, it's like they still know they can, they're, they're friends and they can rely on each other. And they hang out for a while. They practice some sword fighting together because they know some big quickening thing is going to happen. But then they get a little annoyed with each other and then they go away again. And they're like, well, see you in another 500 years or something. And uh, I feel like maybe that's that's a little bit what some of these longer friendships are like once you get to be of a certain age and vintage. It's like, yeah, we are all a little different from each other. Um, but we all appreciate the ways that the other people are. That's why we still talk to each other and hang out. And that's why we're friends. We may not see each other in real space all the time or even that often, but I think we all appreciate each other. I hope we do. That's what I think. Does that do it? It's my Highlander analogy. (laughs) Is that, is that something? All right. Bye. Do you have any recommendations for our listeners this week? Yeah. A quick recommendation. Drive-in theaters. Think about it. I kind of forgot they existed, and uh, I uh, went to the theater uh, for the first time in two years now. It was my first post-pandemic theater experience was uh, Amanda and I drove to a drive-in theater and and, uh, watched that Spider-Man and uh, had a pretty good time. Bring whatever snacks you want. Bring blankets. Probably should bring blankets because that car gets really foggy if you're in there with the windows rolled up. So you got to at least crack the window and it is December or I guess January when you're listening to this. But uh had a really good time and was like, yeah, we could I'd do this again. What was this like eight bucks to do this times two, 16 bucks to do this, bring our own snacks. Good time. Good time. So uh if, if you if you forgot about going to the movies and you haven't been for for safety reasons uh and you have a car, don't do this if you don't have a car. But if you have a car. Go do it. Oh, and a tip. Bring a battery-powered stereo of some kind. I have a, I have like a shower radio because at least the one I went to, uh, and they're probably all like this now, you tune into a radio station and uh, don't leave your engine idling to watch a movie. Bring bring a, bring a stereo. It works. It's good. Recommendations. Uh, oh, um, oh. Here's where, again, I just have, I have a whole lot of recommendations. I'm sort of a professional stuff recommender, right? I don't know. So what is my recommendation? I recommended uh, my dad drink water, more water lately. I've recommended that people drink more water, period, for a very long time. Though my dad just got back from Target and he bought a huge BPA-free plastic water bottle. It's kind of interesting. It has a schedule on it. It has like an 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. like schedule on it. So it's like, he's like, I'm going to try to drink 64 ounces a day. I told him I drink two gallons. 
which probably sounds to my dad like the sort of dumb thing that he just thinks I say but don't actually mean. I'm pretty sure that I'm considered some sort of insincere stuff-sayer hereabouts in these parts where I say stuff like, oh, I've been to England or whatever, and then they they just kind of laugh and think, no, he hasn't. Uh, I think they think I'm some kind of weird liar over here, which is just the reputation that I think they've had of me. And I have leaned the heck into it both here and abroad. Uh, both uh, in private with these people and in public. Though um, my dad actually bought the water bottle to uh, so that he can start drinking 64 ounces of water a day. So something convinced him. I mean, it was either me or maybe maybe Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil or one of those other guys who's not actually a doctor, uh, though they get to legally say they're a doctor because it's like funny to call a guy a doctor in some circles. Maybe he said that on TV. And uh, I was just kind of, I don't know, what do you call it? Peeing in the ocean, as it were. I don't know what that means. Uh, thank you. Recommendation time. Okay, what do I have? I don't have. I don't have that much. Um, I recommend the song "Walk" from the Sega CD game Nostalgia 1907. I think it's really cool. You just listen to it. It's got a good, neat vibe. You could really only do on CD at that time, and um, they included a soundtrack CD with the game if you buy it. So um, that's kind of nice as well. Uh, and and I will also. Maybe I'll say this is the last time I'm going to do this directly. I get self-conscious about it, especially when the others are on the podcast. But I have noticed that five or six uh, thousand of you have not yet wishlisted Hypergun Sport on Steam. So if you could go and do that, I'd really appreciate it. And then maybe I won't mention it so much anymore. And we can all we can all just relax until the game comes out. I'm not going to be relaxing. And then I guess I'd like to say, I'd just like to say thanks to everybody for listening for so long. We started this thing back up, I guess, about a year and a half ago. But over here, it's December 30th. It's uh, reflecting on things a little bit as I realize the year is ticking over into a new number. It's just another day. But at the same time, it has some kind of significance. We have culturally built this up to have significance, the day ticking over to a new year. And uh, I just appreciate everybody listening to this show. Everybody who comes on the forum and talks, like, I, I really didn't think that we were going to have a vibrant forum community. Well, I hoped we would. That's why I made it. But, you know, we got we got people talking on there every day, forming friendships, getting through this pandemic together by having some kind of a sense of a place to hang out and where you can make certain kinds of jokes and people are going to get it. Or you can talk about this obscure thing that you like and people will be like, oh, man. I know about that. It's nice. It's been heartening for me personally during all this nonsense. And yeah, I'm just glad that y'all are out there. And I hope we can keep doing this. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing. And take care of yourselves. I'd like to make a recommendation. I'd recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you engage with us in that way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. You go to patreon.com slash insert credit where you could become a patron to submit your own topics, get monthly bonus episodes, and other exclusive treats down the pipeline. You could also join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at insert credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Safaldi. Tim is at 108. And Brandon is at Necrosofty. This show is edited by Esper Quinn. <laughs> With music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Spaldi. I'm Tim Rogers. 
And I'm Brandon Sheffield. And I'm Ash Barish. And I'm Liz Ryerson. And I'm Esper Quinn. And you have now saved your game. And now you're playing with podcasts. Honk, honk. I just want everyone to know that my, my, the, the motivation for this character was I imagined a man who had purchased a Nintendo for his children for Christmas back in 1988. And then it was, his children were so stupid. His children were named Blurfus and Bricules, and according to the fiction, that they could not... They just could not see the, the buttons on the controller. That's the joke. Uh, in case anyone needed to know. This is for the bonus content. Thank you for listening to uh, the bonus content for this episode. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oh, wow.